0: You know i was kind of humbled by that experience and i said to myself you know maybe it's not in the cards for me and you know what joe maybe you just need to keep a steady job obviously i'd move from so many jobs and just be happy with what you have but here's the funny part i drained my wife's 401k again
1: i don't think she'll think that's funny
0: no (laughs) we laugh about it now I think the statistic is 80% of all restaurants fail. You know, I didn't care about myself, anything else. And then I ended up kind of homeless for a couple weeks. But what I did that was very smart was I know I was very humbled by losing everything. I was just like, shit, okay. My name is Joe Kahn. I'm 50 years old and I live in Nashville, Tennessee. And what's your business? My business is Condado Tacos, the uh, business of tacos. Yeah, so what is Condado Tacos? Condado Tacos is a company that I created seven and a half years ago. Really, what I created was customizable taco menu with high energy on the walls, art, amazing time at a very reasonable price. When I started out, I really wanted to give the best product that I could, highest quality, and the most craveable.
1: And so it was a, just a taco restaurant that you started in Nashville?
0: Well, let me take a step back. No, I started in Columbus, Ohio. I live in Nashville now. So we started in Columbus, which is the kind of melting pot of the Midwest. And they say, if you can do well in Columbus since it's such a national testing ground that you could probably do well anywhere in the US.
1: Is that why you started in Columbus? Actually, yes. And so how big is your company today and how many restaurants do you have?
0: So today is number 32. I'm flying out in about two hours. Very exciting. So we have 32 locations, around 3,000 employees, and we will have 40 restaurants by the end of the year. That's
1: pretty amazing. And you started about eight, nine years ago?
0: Actually, seven and a half. I keep thinking to myself that it's been eight or nine, but no, all this was done in about seven and a half years.
1: Well, when you opened that first taco restaurant, did you think you'd get it to this size with 33 different locations? And you said 3,000 plus employees?
0: I will tell you, not to this level. I had always dreamed that I would be a national player, but I couldn't fathom it until probably four years ago. I guess we can
1: obviously take a year by year on how you grew and whatnot, but I guess before we kind of rewind to your story even before the Taco restaurant here got started, I mean, is there anything else that you think we should know about you?
0: Well, listen, I've been in the restaurant business 35 years. I um knew exactly what I wanted to start when I started it. It was a company based on culture. I wanted to make sure that we always took care of our employees. I'll tell you a little story seven and a half years ago. My COO, my main right hand in the company, who was not then, he was a bartender. I paid everybody in the kitchen 22 to 24 bucks because I knew that if you could have a livable wage, that we could create some great culture. So basically, I started Condado to have a great company and to base it off of culture.
1: You're saying a couple hours you get to take a private airplane to the 33rd opening? Where's that going to be?
0: 32nd. And it's going to be in uh, Menor, Ohio, which is a small little town outside of Cleveland. But we're very, very, very excited. Maybe you didn't mention it was a private, but you had told me before that
1: it was. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. I think that's at one point, maybe all of us, there's different reasons why we do things or whatever. But it's like, I think that's one of those things that once you get to a certain income level that I think people are excited to be able to do, to, I guess, fly private and do that. So I guess even when I said, Seven and a half years ago, I guess you weren't imagining that you'd be able to take private airplanes to openings of new locations for your restaurant either.
0: Yeah, I never, never would have thought that. Not in a million years. So, yeah, it's, it's very special that I get to jump on a plane whenever I want to and go to an opening in 40 minutes. So, yeah, very, very exciting.
1: And of those locations, how many are... I imagine that they're franchised, or are they all private, no, privately owned? they're all
0: privately owned.
1: Oh, wow. That's a little different too, especially for that many taco restaurants.
0: Yes. So we are a hybrid of a casual, fast casual. They call us next gen. They don't really know how to categorize us. It's a very, very busy restaurant. Very. But yeah, we made a very conscious decision not to franchise because we did not want to water down what Condado was. Okay.
1: And so I guess if anyone wants to search, if they have a Condado Tacos, then I guess it's kind of more Northeast and I guess Nashville, you consider kind of South, Southeast, but in North Carolina, that's kind of the furthest South I'm seeing. So if anyone wanted to check those out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all over the place, but we're slowly moving to the right side of the United States. And I think next year we're going to look into Buffalo and a little further down Miami or Florida. So there's a lot of white space for us everywhere. We'll be somewhere in your city eventually. We're opening, I think, 13 to 15 next year. So, Well, how do you pick a location? Well, back in the day, I would go fly to wherever, drive. It was probably driving. I couldn't afford to fly back then, even a commercial. I'd hear about a location. I'd go down and I would spend four or five days watching what's going on in the street, all the restaurants around us, all that kind of stuff. So that's how we used to pick them. Now I have a VP of real estate and an entire uh, construction team under him. So it's a little different
1: nowadays. Maybe you don't know 100% specifically, but I guess what does he look at? Because I'm curious because everyone looks at something different. So I'm just curious, is there something specifically if you're going into a new city and then even within the new city, are you looking at a certain location and and why?
0: Yeah, I mean, really, it's about the uh, demographics, right? The demographics and the traffic so we have this robust model that we use from, I think, Buxton a few years ago. And it kind of picked out who our target market is. So we base it off of that. And when we go look at a site, we already have the answers to everything. What we really need to look at is the traffic around there and the volumes of the restaurants in the area.
1: Well, how would you find the volume of the restaurants?
0: You know what? tours always love to brag. So <laughs> they will tell you right away how much their AUVs are.
1: AUVs? What's AUVs mean? Sorry, I don't know all the acronyms, but... That's all right.
0: It's average unit volumes. Okay. And
1: so what would be a good average unit? Is that like how many people are in or what's that nope, mean? Nope,
0: nope, That's dollar, dollar amount. So our, I can't give you a specific, but our average unit volumes are enormous. I would say they're up there with like a velvet taco, maybe a bar taco something like that. We sell $4 tacos. And to get that volume normally, we should be a 10,000 square foot location. We do all of this out of a probably 3,800 square foot location. So it's very big. So
1: you're just looking at the tacos places, not uh, like let's say a Olive Garden or a Chili's or something like that. I don't know if you'd know that or if that helps you. Yeah. I think
0: our average unit volumes are way, way, way above any of those as well
1: so what goes into the average unit just even the formula i guess that's what i'm trying to figure out is like i know you said the four dollar taco but i I didn't really get what the actual formula is in case you know anyone's who's interested in opening a restaurant at least they get some good ideas that i've never even heard of this and i've talked to a couple of restaurant people i think so Mm -hmm.
0: no i mean listen it consists of tacos and margs and quesos and dips and all that good stuff it's not really a formula it's more of a you know, the higher the unit volumes you do, the more really popular and and what people are. I guess it does mean that you're just very popular. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I guess I don't know if it's a dollar amount over how many people come in. Because you said that was the total amount, but if there's like average unit of tacos, if, I mean, if people order, normally order 10 at your restaurant versus another one, five, or I just don't know what the, I guess I can look up the formula <laughs> instead of <laughs> keep asking. So
0: yeah, I'm not sure if I can answer that, but I will tell you that we get a lot of people through our doors every day and we're a very, very popular restaurant. So
1: I says the average unit volume the UV is the average store's total sales for the entire 52 week period divided by its number of stores. So I guess it is the average coming in over, and that's how people say. So say, what is McDonald's AUV? Despite being bigger, McDonald's still tops the chart based on $2 market share. Despite having more stores, there are 35 million people in this country. I don't know. I guess people can look up AUV to get a better idea of it,
0: but- <laughs> they can. And you know what? McDonald's isn't a huge AUV. I think it's like 2.1 million. The big boy out there that everybody's chasing right now, just to give you a difference. Is Chick Fil A? Oh, wow. They're doing okay. six to eight million dollars per store, and they're closed on Sunday. It's incredible,
1: incredible. Okay, well, no, that's that's great metrics. Thanks. Yeah, helps us understand like why this is such a good metric. If those are the two most popular AUVs, <laughs> you know, the highest makes sense. Yes,
0: yes. Okay, we sit there, you know, a little towards the top, so that's good.
1: Great. Thanks for sharing that and giving me a little understanding, a little bit more detail into the restaurant business because. Obviously, I interview a lot of different entrepreneurs if anyone wants to check the back catalog, but I think being an entrepreneur in the restaurant space is even more risky and more difficult than most of the entrepreneur stories I have. So I don't know if you feel the same because if you've just been it the whole time, but I mean, most people, when they say restaurant, I think when we talk about business failures, we're just talking about regular small businesses, but restaurant small business failure seems
0: off the roof. Yeah. I mean, I think the statistic is 80% of all restaurants fail and to move past a couple is nearly impossible. So when you have lightning in a bottle, you capture it, but it has not been easy. I will tell you that much. I made it, lost it all, made it, lost it all. I took a ton of risks, a ton of chances, and I built an amazing team underneath me that believed in the culture that I was preaching. And they went to war with me. I mean, it is literally the restaurant business sometimes can be like war. You're dealing with so many people and You know, you have to go so fast and it's an insane business to be in. Let's say that I don't know why people do it. I love the restaurant business. It's my whole heart. And I would have done this even if I would have failed. I would have done it a million times. I just love being in the restaurant business. In fact, I was at my last opening in Charlotte and I haven't been behind the bar in probably five years. And I used to bartend and I just made a few drinks and it it just felt great. I'm like, I want to get back out there. So. How many did you make for yourself? <laughs> I made none for myself. I made about sure. six drinks. And then I realized that I'm an old man now and I can't bartend. Well, it's
1: funny when you're talking about the AUVs. If you just walk into, I guess, other talker places and ask them to at least get a general idea, it's like I heard this quote recently and they're saying uh, loose lips sink ships. And so I guess it's even, you know, I had never heard that before. And I guess it comes into play right right, right now, too, that you always got to be aware, I guess. And if you don't ask the question to those people, you never know. So right. obviously, that seems like a great metric to help you out, too. So thanks for giving us, I guess, an overall understanding of what you do and how you got to where you are today. But let's go ahead and rewind it to wherever you think's most important in your story as far as coming out of high school or anything like that.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to be really honest with you. I actually dropped out of school in the 10th grade, went back, got my GED. What year was that? Oh, God, I'm old. So 98, 97, something like that. You mean 88, I think. Yes, I'm sorry.
1: Oh, no, it's all good. It's all good. I, I, I just I tell people I do an Excel calculation here just to make sure. And I'm like, okay, yeah,
0: 88. All right. Yes. Tried to take some classes in school. Didn't work out for me. But the first job I ever had was when I was 15. And I started in a Sizzler steakhouse. I was a busboy.
1: And where were you located? Chicago.
0: Chicago, Illinois. And I think I made $12 that day. And I was hooked. I'm like, this is so much money. My dad, funny story, would always tell me, stay out of the restaurant business. It's like being a garbage man. You're never going to make anything of yourself. And I was like, hmm. I don't know if that motivated me, but <laughs> You know, it was pretty funny and pretty funny to see where I am now versus then. But yeah, I mean, I've been in the business 35 years and really I I got the opportunity to start my own company a little while ago with some great partners, very little money. And I was able to kind of pull this off.
1: Well, let's start with uh, going from 10th grade and dropping out. Did
0: your parents care at all? Did they care? (laughs) Honestly, I don't think he knew. I was living with my dad and my sister. I'm very smart. School was just not for me. I don't think the teachers knew how to kind of work my brain. You know what I mean? So I was completely disinterested. It wasn't like I was a bad kid running around doing a bunch of stuff. I just didn't go to school. When I <laughs> went to go take my GED, I don't even think I studied. I just passed and like, whatever. But yeah, no, I left home pretty early. So I, I left home before I was 18, I think.
1: And who'd you live with?
0: Well... I lived with some uh, friends for, I don't know, six or eight months. And then when it became too much to house me, I moved to the YMCA and yeah, I lived there until I think I turned 18 and then found a guy in YMCA that kind of was in my same situation and we got an apartment together.
1: Or you work in the restaurant industry the whole time, the same job?
0: Yeah, I was working. Actually, I I believe I had switched to Pizza Hut where I was a waiter making probably 50 bucks
1: a day. So it was great. And so you're working Pizza Hut making 50 bucks a day and you're 18, right? And still in Chicago? Still in
0: Chicago. Yep.
1: And so how long did you do that for?
0: You mean just work at Pizza Hut?
1: Yeah. Or whatever. I don't know how long you work there or if there's another life change somewhere a little after this, but just, yeah, just trying to get a feel of your working background before we get to you starting your own
0: business. Sure. Probably worked two jobs, Coyote Joe's and Pizza Hut. And that's how it went for a few years. And I always tried to move up in the restaurant business. So I think I was, I don't know why they were letting me surf underage, but I was bartending at maybe 19 which I don't know if that was the law back then. I can't remember, but I was doing that at Coyote Joe's, working at Pizza Hut, and just through the years, different jobs, always moving up and then into management and all that kind of stuff.
1: As a business leader, you and your time are pulled in a lot of different directions. Think of tasks you hate doing. Maybe it's inbox management. Maybe it's managing your calendar. Or maybe it's project follow-up. Delegating those tasks that you hate could save you up to 15 hours per week. That way you can do the things that you love. It's time to focus on your strengths and delegate your weaknesses. Belay intentionally pairs clients with virtual assistants, accounting services, and more. Belay can help you reclaim those 15 hours every week. Great leaders don't do anything alone. Find the support you need to delegate those details with Belay. Belay has been helping business leaders with staffing solutions for over a decade. And you can find that out by checking out episode 84 of our podcast, where I interviewed the founder, Brian Miles. Get the right help right now with a virtual assistant from Belay. Belay is offering an exclusive VIP offer to all of our podcast listeners. So just text STORY to 55123 to claim your VIP offer. Again, that's story. S T O R Y 255123. Well, thanks for letting us break down your business. Hopefully that helped a little bit. Oh, it's more than paid for the Patreon. I feel like I was in debt to you for everything I've learned so far in the last year. Well, we just thought this would be fun. We just started recently doing it. So that way we can give you more detailed help than just on the group calls. So again, Rain, thanks for your time per usual as well.
0: Yeah, right on. No, this is always fun. Thank you,
1: Rain. All right, guys. Well, yeah, when did you eventually move into
0: management? How long did that take? Well, I fell in love with a girl and I moved to Boulder, Colorado when I was 20. Worked in a restaurant. Girl broke up with me immediately, which is the same story that I've heard a million times from everyone when you make a big change like that. And yeah, I worked at my first management job. Let's see. Worked in Boulder, also her server. and Then I went to Aspen for a year and worked at a friend's restaurant called Port La France. And I was a barista. And then about a year and a half later, I went back home to Chicago. And my first job was the outpost coming back. And for about six months, I bartended. And then the owner, who I love, handed me the keys one night and said, you're now the manager. And that was just really locking the door. You get a few extra bucks, you lock the door, shut down the restaurant, run the numbers, all that kind of stuff.
1: I thought he was going to give you the restaurant. It would have made a much better story.
0: <laughs> it would have made a much better story. Kevin O'Donnell would not do that. He was a good guy. But anyways, he kind of gave me my first start in the management. And then I moved around from job to job. And fortunately, I, I think I got mad at Kevin and I quit one night, of course. My favorite job, one of my favorites. And then I went to manage a full restaurant by myself. Some regular had come in and they poached me. Why'd they poach you? I think just because they liked me, they liked my style. And
1: Well, I'm just wondering if your style is like your storytelling style. You seem very mellow, you know, <laughs> right now, but I don't know if, you know, to be honest, I don't know if you turn on a switch when you go to the restaurant because I'm not really feeling a lot of energy or anything. So I'm trying to feel if you were different in the restaurant, if it's like go time for you versus- Oh yeah,
0: you're on stage, man. You're on stage. Okay.
1: So, so that's what you conserve your energy for is when you're on stage. Okay. So he poaches you and what's the restaurant then?
0: Gosh, I don't even know. I can't remember because it lasted about three months and they ended up getting fired.
1: Oh, it's funny. I mean, at this point, how old are you? I think you're like 23, if I have to guess, around 95. So, I mean, I didn't even talk about this yet. There's something that I was going to bring up. People in the restaurant industry move around a lot and you're just proving this out. I wish I would have said it earlier, but I think everyone knows that. But you're already at five restaurants when you're 23, I guess, or so.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, there's... Certain restaurants that you work in that you're there for a lifetime, like a Smith or Malensky's,
1: Like a Dono Tacos.
0: <laughs> I can only hope. I do have some very long tenured employees, so. Well, hopefully you'll be there a lifetime, right? Yes, of course. And then there's other restaurants that come and go. Restaurants don't last a long time. Well, yeah, I guess it goes back to what
1: we were saying, where either is it bad manager? Like I'm just wondering, even from your viewpoint up to this point in your story, is like, I guess every situation is different. Sometimes you hate the manager, I guess, or sometimes I guess the restaurant's going to go under. Were you noticing a trend? Or have you noticed a trend? Why
0: people move so much? Yeah. I mean, listen, most people aren't this successful in the restaurant business. So it has a, a lifespan of a year or two. And if you can't prove yourself in a year that you're a popular, consistent restaurant, they just don't last very long. Then you're just standing around making no money. You know what I mean? Right. So then you have
1: as a server, you're like, okay, if I'm not getting any money, obviously, I'm going to try somewhere else. So
0: Exactly. And bad management too. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of different factors, but I think that's the biggest. Yeah. I mean, bad management will definitely, bad culture will definitely kill a restaurant quicker than anything else.
1: Yeah. I haven't even been in the restaurant business and I can see it as a patron. Like I can tell there's certain ones that used to be cool and stuff and managers seem friendly and then you see... You get one bad apple, especially, I guess, if it's from top down, you're like, oh, you can tell they stop caring. And then it shows in everybody else.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we try to weed those bad apples out and turn them around. We always give them the shot to turn around. And then if they don't turn around, we're like, okay, you're out. Even management. Luckily, our culture is so amazing that we don't have a ton of bad apples. You know what I mean? Because we treat our employees extremely well. We pay much higher than industry standards and we do that for a reason and we're invested in our people so yeah i say sometimes we're not in the taco business we're in the people business because really the employees aren't happy you have nothing and a taco is just a taco the culture is what makes a restaurant other factors consistency all that kind of stuff craveability all that stuff but it really comes down to how you treat people and that's everything in our restaurant culture
1: Well, back to, I guess, we're 95, we're saying you're about 23. Do you just keep jumping around for year to year uh, management positions? Or is there a big hurdle here at some point before you get to starting your own taco business?
0: No, there's a little bit of a curve. So, yes, you move from job to job. You get fired a lot. You make all your mistakes and ruin restaurants, even though you're not trying to do it, but you're new to management. And... Yeah, I move around until I get to this one restaurant called Red. Well, it wasn't called Red before. It was in my neighborhood. I think it was River North. And somebody gave me a chance to consult. I was like, this is amazing. And so I pitched my idea for the bar and this woman bought it. And I was like, Wow, I actually get to do this. So I designed the place. It was called Red. And what year was this? Or how old were you? I was probably twenty five.
1: Okay. So this is right around yeah, ninety seven, ninety eight. Okay.
0: Yeah. And that really was a big moment because I was like, holy shit, if I actually get to open my own place, I can actually do it. I feel good that I know what I'm doing, which I didn't, of course, but it felt great to create something and it was pretty popular, but I probably had too big of an ego back then. So I ended up getting fired how long did it take you to get fired uh, probably 6 months after <laughs> that
1: seems like a long time in your stories of yeah. being at a place right. right 6 months
0: all right and it was justified because i mean this poor woman was like hey joe you have to do this this and this and i was so arrogant and didn't know how to treat people back then i'm like no this is how it's done there's no compromise which I'll tell you later on in, in this story that there's a reason why I was like that in my mind. It just didn't come out of my mouth that way. You know what I mean?
1: Well, yeah. Well, And, and it's important for everyone to realize that too. It's like when you go looking back now, it's funny, but I guess the day after you get fired, you're like, fuck. <laughs> you know. But the time it's like, you don't learn how to be a better manager except from experience, to be honest, it seems like. Like you can hear these stories and stuff, but hopefully people kind of take from that. It's like, I think in the beginning, As you're younger, at least me, like I was the same way, I might want to say exactly how it is, right? Versus trying to appeal to their emotional side and not being as straightforward, I guess, or trying to understand their point of view. Right. Versus like at that point, obviously, you didn't seem that you cared about her point of view. (laughs) No,
0: which was way too cocky. But, you know, it taught me a lesson. And then for the next five years, I think I just kind of went from job to job to job until. I um, in the restaurant business still. Yep, in the restaurant business. I think. I, wow.
1: Yeah, you re- you really did not listen to what your dad said. No, did you?
0: not at all.
1: <laughs> so yeah, you've been in the restaurant business like you said the whole time. Okay.
0: Yeah, and then when I was around twenty eight, I managed this really swanky uh, fine dining restaurant, and then I get the news that the mother of my child is moving to Ohio, so I have to find a job in Ohio and I end up finding a job in Ohio. And the reason I'm telling you that is because it leads me to Ohio at 30, where I didn't quite get my start yet, but I was getting there. So moved to Ohio, did some consulting, worked as a GM. And then I kind of went down on my luck, believe it or not. And I had broken up with some girl that I was so in love with, and it just devastated me. And you know, I didn't care about myself, anything else. And then I ended up kind of homeless for, gosh, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks. I was just riding the bus and the train. And then eventually my dad helped me out. I went to work at Sam and Dave's, which was one of my favorite jobs. And this was probably 14 years ago. Ended up working there, just serving for about four years.
1: Well, that's by far the longest he stayed anywhere.
0: I know. I was very humbled by losing everything. I was just like, shit. Okay.
1: And was Sam and Dave's in Chicago or in Ohio?
0: No, it was still in Ohio, Rocky River, Ohio. You know, I was kind of humbled by that experience. And I said to myself, you know, maybe it's not in the cards for me. And you know what, Joe, maybe you just need to keep a steady job. Obviously, I would moved from so many jobs and just be happy with what you have. So, I mean, I was, it was a great job. I make good friends there. I make good money. And then I was kind of looking for a little bit of a change, and my ex-partner, who we'll get to that in a minute, recommended me for a job at my favorite place ever to work, which was Edison's Pub in Tremont. And I went there, I managed, I turned the bar around. The guy that I worked for, Mark LaGrange, was so amazing. He would give me 7% of sales that I increased. Plus I could bartend. So I was making like $80,000 a year. I think most I had ever made in my lifetime. And I was so happy. Coincidentally, I met my wife in that bar, which is great, but this kind of takes us to a few years at Edison's. And then when I was 38, I had the opportunity to start my company with a partner. So my wife gave me $10,000 out of her 401k. She was then my girlfriend. And I put together $2,000 and moved into his space and made a concept. Unfortunately, the partnership, we just moved on from each other. Good guy, but we separated and I ended up restarting in Columbus and again, had to borrow money from my wife who did not have money. She was the wife at that time. And I restarted seven and a half years ago I think from the first partnership, I learned what I was doing right and what I wasn't. And I pivoted and I knew exactly what I wanted when I opened Condado. Let me tell you that much.
1: So when your wife gave you 10K and you had the 2K to make a concept with the partner, was it the same thing as Condado Tacos today? Was that the same concept?
0: Yeah, I co-created. It's called Barrio
1: and I'm Condado. So you actually did make the restaurant or no? I co-created Right, but did it actually become a restaurant? Oh, you mean Barrio? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: you didn't say that part. so sorry. (laughs) Okay.
1: So how do you spell that? How do you spell Barrio, taco? I know how to spell taco.
0: (laughs) Well, it's not my company anymore, so I don't know how to spell it. But if I had to take a guess, it's E-A-R-R-I-O.
1: Okay. I was trying to get an idea of like, okay, so that's the concept that you came up with your partner at the time, and he kept doing it, and then you said hey you know
0: i'm out no not necessarily i mean we just decided to go our separate ways
1: right but you were no longer with it correct Mm -hmm. okay but he stayed with it
0: i believe he did yes
1: but you didn't really care i guess you're just hey i'm done
0: yeah i mean there was you know some things that happened that i'm legally not allowed to talk about
1: okay well you don't have to say like i won't get in that specifics but i mean were you like devastated? I'm sure you can legally talk about that.
0: <laughs> yes, I will tell you. When the partnership ended, I was absolutely devastated. My wife was in tears, did not know what we were going to do. It was very shocking. All my hard work. And then I had to start over again. And it was a very very popular restaurant, and I think I opened two with him as partners and then moved on. So how long did y'all have the taco place that you worked at there? That I owned?
1: Yeah. Well, well, you said you started in 2010, right? You told me that, but I guess you're 38 years old just so keep a track of, for everybody. But how long were you with that taco place? Were you, it was it a year or two years or zero years?
0: Probably 18 months. Okay.
1: And this is the first time you're actually putting your money in and starting a restaurant exactly. concept. So this is kind of like your first yeah. baby, even though you have become gotten promotions at those other places and seemed like you did pretty well, but this was the first time you put your money in and put your, well, I guess I don't know if red bar we count that or not, but no, I,
0: I don't think so. This was different because it was tremendous energy and thought and time put into it. I never put that much time with anyone else. So, I mean, I literally would work 18 hours a day, seven days a week, never took a day off.
1: Were you newly married? Yeah. Did your wife care?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that we almost got divorced about twenty times. Uh, it was it was horrible. I remember these fights with her and her saying, "I need this," and I'm like, "Baby, I'm doing this for us. I'm doing this for us. This is our future. We need to hit it." I mean, you know how entrepreneurs are—they put everything they have into it. They're relentless and and just run through brick walls. And you have to be that way.
1: Yeah, you have to have a rational belief, or else you wouldn't even start it, right? If you looked at the stats.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you're so determined. But yeah, my poor wife went through so much. I will tell you that much. But you know, when we we thought we're starting over, it it was a painful four or five months. And then I found a couple of great partners and I restarted. And yeah,
1: right before we talked about the restart, do you mind if I ask a couple other questions just to clarify where you were in your life and everything? Yeah, please. So yeah, I guess at this point in time, are you still seeing your is it a son or daughter? I don't know if you had one child. My daughter. Mm-hmm. Was she living near y'all too, and were you having to see her a lot, or I guess I don't even know if you had time based on your work schedule? What you're saying.
0: Yeah, well, Julie, I mean, are we talking growing up, or are we talking just in? Uh,
1: yeah, both. I guess growing up in and then up to this point.
0: No, I had my daughter a lot. I mean, I think I picked her up from school three or four days a week, and then she had two days with me, something like that. So, I mean, I'm very close to my daughter. And I moved to Ohio to be close to her. And I've always lived kind of close to her. And then I think when I started the old concept... And that's what we'll call it for now on. Don't worry. We'll just call it the old concept. Thanks. Julie, my wife, would kind of help out with my daughter because she was you know, around 15, 14, something like that. She's 24 now. And they would come to the restaurant. They'd come to see me. I would try to take a couple hours off and go have dinner with them somewhere. It wasn't always successful, but I think my time was a little more limited with her then. But funny story is she came to work for me, and I'll tell you that later. Okay.
1: Yeah, for free, obviously, right? <laughs> that family discount. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nope. But I guess growing up too, I mean, when you had your daughter and you moved to Ohio to see her too, I guess as you found your wife, your current wife at the pub, was that easy to like tell her about? Cause I've always been curious about that too. Have you, I guess you're kind of single dad entrepreneur. Well, you weren't quite an entrepreneur yet, but how did that go as well?
0: Couple things with that. I was always an entrepreneur. Like even when I was at Sam and Dave's, I was trying to start stuff like window washing business or, and I failed. I think I had a tampon and chocolate business that failed. It was like a subscription and I didn't put very much money into it, but I always tried to come up with the next greatest thing. What was your other part of that question, Austin? what did you think about that group call the other day? Yeah,
1: it was good. You know, even if there's less people on there, it actually benefits you more personally, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. You know, you're getting advice from multiple people. You know, a lot of people pay a lot of money to have coaches and for 24 bucks a month and be able to get all the other podcasts and that. I was like, it's kind of a no brainer. Have you had a chance to listen to any of the past group calls or anything like that yet? Yeah, I've listened to a couple of them. Even if somebody had a business that was completely unrelated to anything I was doing, they were still throwing in invaluable nuggets of information just constantly. So I've been listening and you know, I'd like to start getting in on some of the group calls. I'd like to start really engaging with other people in the community and just learning and devouring as much as I can. Oh, I guess, yeah. You did have these entrepreneur activities on the side. So thanks for saying that too, because we all have so many small things that fail on the side. So you even listen out to two of those. I think that helps anybody. Just maybe if they're failing on something right now, but don't worry, there's going to be another one. You got to keep trying. But also like when you meet your wife at that point in time, was it easy town or you had a daughter that uh, I guess it didn't matter it was out of wedlock, but the, just that you had a daughter and had to deal with that and balancing how much time you'd have for your new wife to be, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, we loved each other. So she wanted to do everything she could for me. I don't think it was hard. I always told people I had a daughter, but I never let myself kind of fall in love with anybody until I knew it was right. And then eventually they would meet my daughter. So no, but Julie was very open to that. And listen, she Cass only had three more years until she was an adult, so it wasn't like she was a little kid. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I guess for me, it was just trying to figure out the balance of time and whatnot. I don't know if they necessarily... Because I've had friends who've gone through recent divorces, and then they're trying to figure out the time balance and whatnot, and it's just for me or even for anyone who's listening. I guess trying to juggle all that at the same time, so...
0: I mean, it was hard. I mean, working in the restaurant business and closing down bars and getting out at three o'clock in the morning and then doing all that. And then you have to wake up and you have to go pick your daughter up and then have to go back to work and then live like 40 minutes away. So yeah, I mean, it was time consuming, but I did everything I I could to see her as much as possible.
1: And so I guess going back to with the old concept, getting out with those partners, how long did it take for you to find new partners to, I guess, redo this concept and launch your new taco place?
0: Not long, not long at all. We met the guy liked what I did. His name was Tom. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll go into business with you, but I want my buddy, John, to be partners with us and we'll do a third or third, a third. I said, well, it's not ideal. But what I did that was very smart was I took on two partners that were very successful in their lifetimes and both retired when they were 50 and are multi-multi-millionaires And I was just a sponge whenever we would get together and talk and they didn't work in the restaurant when they didn't really understand it, but I knew I could lean on them at any given moment for advice and teachings and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, it didn't take long. I found two great partners and we restarted and we knew exactly what we were going to do when I started it, which was don't take any money like profits. And if this thing blows up, keep opening as many restaurants as you can, and invest in your support center. So what we did very smartly is when the restaurant went from $40,000 weeks to $100,000 and there were lines going around the building, we knew we had a winner. And two years in, we opened our second one.
1: Okay. I'm marking that down when you opened your second one. But first, can you tell me how you found your partner's?
0: Yeah. A friend of mine now, who's a good friend of my wife, Joe, introduced me to them.
1: were you just going around asking, hey, I'm looking for partners to restart a restaurant?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. What was their backgrounds?
0: Uh, I think they were both tech. Yeah, they were both tech. So knew nothing about it, but they did invest in little things and they loved what I I did. And yeah, that's how they, they invested.
1: And did you have to put any money in this time?
0: Yep, I did. It was an equal. Well, it was almost, I think it was. Yeah, we were third or third or third. So, yeah, we each put in, shoot, eighty or or
1: $100,000. Wow. So that's way more than you even put in the first one, right?
0: Yes. Yes, it is.
1: Is that all the money you had? Every dime. i glad I asked. <laughs> yeah, like a- every dime. <laughs> okay. Because you're like, after that last one, I guess you felt like things were going right. But again, this. You didn't have the right partners, but in this one, you're like, did you feel more confident? Well, no.
0: I mean, the old partners were were fine. It's not that. It, it's just I had, I think I had more control at this one, right? For sure. And I had much more confidence in what I was doing. But here's the funny part: I drained my wife's 401k again.
1: I don't think she'll think that's funny. No, no, <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> we laugh about it now. Her 401k was like twenty grand. That's so much money, Juju. I call it Juju. And by the way,
1: isn't it taxed like half of it you have to give back to the government?
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay.
1: Just so everyone knows, whenever you hear that, always just imagine that basically half of it.
0: Yeah. Don't withdraw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is not good financials. This <laughs> is not <laughs> good. Decision. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, we restarted and.
1: All right. So you took 20 from there. And then did you have 60
0: more like in credit cards and stuff? Well, it, it was money that I had in the bank. So, yeah. So I had saved that. So, anyways, we got the 300,000 and I'm very cheap and I'm very worried. So I I built this thing with one other guy, painted, did everything, took over the restaurant, did everything myself and with him. And then I hired an artist that I'll tell you about down the road and, and we did our murals and all that kind of stuff. And I opened with I think 120 in the bank still. So I opened this for about one eighty, which is unreal because it was a five million dollar store at one point. (laughs) Yeah. So we were very, very, very successful.
1: And when you did that, were you working every night trying to build it out yourself?
0: Every night. Yep. I took a smaller salary. I worked every position in the restaurant. I do prep in the morning. And then I would either make tacos online or I would bartend or I would host or sometimes serve. So yes, I was doing it all and managing at the same time. It was seven days a week, nonstop. I mean, nonstop until I took on a manager, which we'll get to that in a little bit.
1: Okay. And I noticed one thing that you did say that I wanted to talk about. You said one thing you weren't going to do with this business or this restaurant business is like you're make sure you put all the money back into the business and not take any profits. Is that one thing that happens a lot to maybe successful restaurants that end up, I mean, every restaurant's a little different on why they might not succeed or eventually close, but is that one thing that happens a lot that people just drain the profits from a restaurant?
0: yeah, I mean, certainly you either have grandiose dreams and you say, "I want to be a national company or you say i'm "I'm happy with two or three restaurants and you you take the money but yeah it's it's very tempting to take profits out and not reinvest in the next one. You know what I mean, so we just kept reinvesting and then reinvesting every dollar into hiring my first director of ops, which these are great stories. If you want to hear this, I mean, I'll tell you some restaurant stories that will blow your mind. Like what we did. I mean, Condado to me, is very, very popular, but it would be nothing without the people. And I am huge obsessive. I was obsessed with this concept and obsessed with making it and getting my culture there. I mean, I would pay people so much money, And in return, I expected almost excellence. You know what I mean? And never to cut a corner. I remember sometimes we used to batch things early in the morning and we would have to batch like five gallons of each sauce because we were so popular. I would go around, I would taste it. And if it wasn't exactly consistent as the last time, I wouldn't let them doctor it up. I would throw it out. That's a lot of money. And that's stuff that 99% of restaurants don't do. But if you are consistent and use great ingredients and craveable, you can be one of the big boys, like the McDonald's and the Chipotle's and the chicken place that I was mentioning. I can't remember the name. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, it was crazy. I remember shutting down the restaurant several times and buying everybody's meals. We're talking like $10,000 plus in sales, just because we were not Doing it right. We were not doing it well. It wasn't consistent. We were giving shitty service, all this stuff. It was taking two hours for a taco, all this stuff. I literally shut down the restaurant and wasted a ton of money. But I knew in the back of my mind that if I do this now and I take this chance, that if we can be consistent, craveable, have great food, highest quality, and get the culture right, we had a huge winner on our hands. I was a maniac back then, man. I mean, I don't know how these people stayed with me because we're so damn busy. I demanded perfection and we're making 5,000 tacos a night down our line, assembly line. And if the shell's broken on our double decker, I would make them restart. But you know what that did was, I'll tell you a good story because I have about 10 original employees that started with me out of, I don't know how many we had, 30 maybe. And everyone that made it I don't know how they made it, but they did. Everyone that made it is high up in our C-suites now. And I think that that is a really cool story, Austin. I used to bartend with my COO, Johnny Zila. Amazing, amazing guy. About a year into starting Short North, I turned to him one day and I said, listen, man, because we would always bartend together and he would tell me about his restaurant experience and he had multi-unit experience. He owned his own restaurant in Chicago. He was much bigger and better than me. And I turned to him one day and I said, hey, man, listen, I need some help. I want to make this thing national, but I need somebody like you that can have the drive and the knowledge and follow what I created because he was way better than me. So I hired him as our director of ops. I paid him, gosh, more than I made just because I knew he was the right guy. And he took it over from there. He believed in the culture. He believed in what we were doing. And, you know, it was me, him. I think, let me, I'm trying to think who else is there. So there's Chris, who was a day one employee. He is now in our training department. Another guy that's in our construction department.
1: Well, I guess you're saying, I don't want to name everybody, but the original 10 that you said they were all in the C-suite and you didn't know how they stayed with you, but I'm sure you've asked them. I mean, you and I can guess at this point in time, were you paying everybody good salaries?
0: Very good salaries. Yes.
1: Okay. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is too, is like, to me, the people who do stick around, they probably didn't have that experience at any other restaurant they had. So I don't know if you were a dick or or not, but if you can tell the person cares, then I think that helps a lot too. I mean, you can tell me what you think, but those are two drivers that I would think from afar, not working at a restaurant that would make me you're like, even if I worked for a guy who was kind of mean, but you can tell he cares and you're going to get better and whatnot, that it's worth sticking around.
0: Yeah. Everybody knew my passion. I mean, everybody, I mean, it was written all over my face, you know? And how many hours you
1: work. So you have no choice. So you, could, you have nothing else in your life. Like, this is your passion, obviously.
0: Right. And, you know, the funny thing is, and the reoccurring theme that I would hear from a lot of people is, even if I was stringent, I wasn't mean, it could raise my voice when I was trying to be serious.
1: Right. And you have to sometimes.
0: And the music's too loud in the kitchen. (laughs) That kind of stuff at a server while I'm working the line. But they all knew I had passion. I worked side by side in the trenches and I cared. I mean, I remember somebody was just telling me a story yesterday. I was in our Easton location doing a video shoot for catering. His name is Jordan. And he comes in and he's like, hey, I see you so much. And we're reminiscing about the old days. So he was there probably year two. And I think our air conditioning went down in short north. It usually did. And it would be like very, very hot in there. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, it was like, I have to just get these guys to keep going. So I'm running around, I'm taking towels and putting them in ice cold water and then wrapping it around their necks while they're online. Cause it's just so damn blazing hot until the air conditioning can get fixed. And you know what? He goes, Joe, that was a really weird experience. And I go, yeah goes, but I knew that you cared. And that's why I'm still with the company five and a half years later. So yes, everybody knew I cared and they believed in what we were doing. And eventually they believed in the culture and how we treat people, which is a big thing and how we pay people. I think it goes hand in hand.
1: Well, I'll say the other thing that you said too, that like, I hadn't thought about you being in the trenches. I think there's so many times where if people start hiring people that they feel like they don't need to do anything or you've earned that. And we kind of have if you've busted your balls for so long or whatever. But I remember one thing when I used to listen to Dave Ramsey podcast, he was saying even when the truck would come to their actual office, when there's things getting backlogged or whatever, he would literally go down and help get boxes out of the truck, even though he's the CEO that a couple thousand people work for him. Like those type of things matter no matter what, like even if it's not the quote unquote most efficient use of your time people have seen you there and knowing that you can do that, that you're not too sweet to take out the trash or whatever, that that makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah. And it was funny because then everybody started following in my footsteps, right?
1: They started putting ice cold rags on the, on the customer's necks or what? (laughs) No, that was a bad joke. (laughs) No,
0: that's funny. My COO, I remember all we did was take out garbage and wash dishes together and other employees would see that. And they're like, Holy shit.
1: Yeah, what are they going to complain about? They can never complain about doing dishes if they see the owner doing it.
0: So yeah, I mean, we built a lot of loyalty through that, and we built a lot of culture through that. And we also, I cared about their personal development, and Johnny, who's the COO, is a huge catalyst for that. Whether you're going to be in our company forever or you're going to move on, we care about your personal development, your well-being. And we want you to go as far as you want to go in this company or as far as you can and then go to another company to succeed. So that's something Johnny did really, really well, invest in people.
1: That reminds me too. I don't know if I recommended an episode to listen to before we did this podcast, you and me doing this episode. But there's one 216 in case anyone wanted to talk about the restaurant business and giving their employees like something to elevate to and try to invest in them. A guy named Nick Cirillo uh, is called Nick's Pizza and Pub. I think it's actually right outside Chicago. And that guy, I heard his interview maybe 10 years before I interviewed him, and I put him on a list of like people I want to listen to. But if you get a chance to check that one out, it was the first time I kind of heard that in the restaurant business, like him investing in people and him having the kind of no background in a restaurant business. But if anyone wants more details on the way he did it too, that's episode 216 you can check out after this episode. But yeah, that's important. People, again, can tell when you care, I guess is kind of what we're summarizing there. And so I guess going back to... You opened in business, you did that 2014, like you said, you said two years later. So we're talking about 2016, you're about 44 and that you had opened your second one. And so you'd saved up that money from the first one to open the second one.
0: Yeah, we were very, very profitable. And and again, we didn't take any profits. So just sit in the bank and then not quite did I have enough money or did we have enough money? I actually had to take loans out from my partners. But the great thing about my partners were good and bad. They charged me a lot of money percentage. I think it was 6%. And I knew nothing about money then. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I took a few hundred thousand dollars from them to add to what we had. And we opened up the second one. And then I'll tell you the story. When private equity came in, I then repaid them. But they forgave that debt and they didn't take any of my equity for a certain amount of time. So I thought that was really great of them. They were invested in me and didn't want me to feel like I was not a full partner, you know what I mean? For all my hard work. So yeah, I mean, we opened the second one two years later, just as successful as the first right away. And then we had a discussion and we said, well, listen, we think this can be national. We really do. I believe in it. My partners believed in me and we took a risk and I told them I wanted to open up in Pittsburgh. So this was the first out of state, right? Well, Fortunately, it was gangbusters and it really proved the concept. It wasn't easy doing it. It was me, Johnny, and Jan Stewart, who's our VP of food. We're literally building these places out ourselves, staying in, I think I made Jan and Johnny stay in the same apartment. And then I had my own apartment, or maybe we shared an apartment. I I don't even know. And get up every day and do everything ourselves, you know, hire the people, set up the kitchens, order, you know, build out everything. But we ended up, doing extremely well in Pittsburgh and is still one of our top, top stores. But that proved out the concept in my mind and my partner's minds that we could really accelerate this. So I was getting ready to open my fourth restaurant, which was, I think it was the same year as Pittsburgh towards the end. I think we had two going on at the same time. And I said, we need more help. So We hired a CFO, and it was literally CFO, me, Johnny. That was our first C-suite. Oh, and this girl, Alyssa, who's still with us. She's almost a day one employee as well. She's part of the art team, art director. Yeah, it was just us here. And taking on David, here's the funny thing. He came from another concept called City Barbecue. Did very well. Kind of got gobbled up by private equity as well once they got to a certain size. And he had a ton of experience, but I I don't think that he enjoyed the private equity people that were partnered with City Barbecue. So I think he had made enough money that he really just wanted to invest in concepts, not invest, but work for concepts that have the ability to maybe be national one day. So he found us, said, wait, 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 don't overlook my resume. We talked to him and ended up hiring him. And part of the deal was he would take a much smaller salary and I would give him, the partners would give him a percentage through phantom stock when we did team up with private equity, which we'll get to. So yeah, we hired the CFO and then really David taught us about, taught me about food costs and prime costs. And he's like, Joe, your your prime costs are 72%. So I go, is that good? He's like, no. I have no idea either. So what's good? (laughs) Prime cost, probably 59.
1: Okay. And this is what a CFO helped you do versus before you kind of knew the price of certain items, I guess, but I don't even know what prime cost is. Can you tell me that?
0: Yeah. So prime cost is, let's say it's uh, sales minus all your fixed rents, all that kind of stuff. You end up with a number on the bottom. 71% prime cost is really high. Funny thing is, we were making so much money that the accountant that I was using never really said anything like, hey, Joe, you know, prime costs. You know what that is? The accountant might not even know if he doesn't
1: specialize in restaurant business, I would think, right?
0: Yeah, no, that's very true. Very true. Because he was a good accountant. But David's like, okay, Joe, your tacos are three dollars. You need to go up 10 cents and you got to stop waste and you have to do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to stop the waste because I only want perfect food, but we can raise prices by 10%. And you know what that taught me was we didn't get our prime costs down for probably a year, a year and a half into David's tenure because we weren't ready as a company. I was throwing stuff away and overpaying people before the sales because I wanted consistent, craveable, clean food, and I wanted good people. So Eventually, we got the prime costs down once management got really tenured and everything started clicking. Then we just started building out our g a got our HR, our IT person. I was still president and CEO. We hired a real estate person and a couple other people. Yeah, then we just started popping out restaurants like, gosh, four or five a year, I think. I think it was three and then four or five.
1: And now today you said you're, I guess, at 32 locations. And again, just to summarize, I guess, about 3,000 employees. So
0: yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And then private equity came in and I love my private equity partner, Beekman. I mean, they are just amazing. And I'll tell you a funny story. When they came in, we weren't sure that this was for us. We were just kind of dabbing our toe in the water. I think we had 12 or 14 locations. So we were getting big, but we weren't really big, you know what I mean? But I loved this guy, his name was Chris Artinian. He was the first guy I met with in New York and he ended up being our partner in Beekman. And I must've interviewed, I don't know, 20 banks, something like that, me and my partners. I mean, it was very intense, very intensive. And what I loved about Chris was that he came from Morton's, he was a CEO and president. Of Morton Steakhouse, now he worked for private equity. What I loved about Chris was that he, too believed in culture. He believed in people over profits. Now, when you treat people right, you get profits, but he believed in people over profits. And we would have discussions all the time. And one private equity came on board two weeks before the pandemic, which is very funny because I sold two weeks before the pandemic hit, and then the shit hit the fan. Obviously, the world shut down. Chris, obviously, it was his first investment, meaning he's the one that took it to the top. You know, John Triano, top, top, and said, I believe in this concept. I think they paid a pretty big multiple for us. And, anyways, did the deal, took some money. I'm still the largest stock shareholder in the company besides my partner, Beekman and and Goldman. But Chris helped us out through the pandemic. I had lost my president he retired. I was still the CEO, he was the president taking care of the day-to-day things. He retired early because of the pandemic and and all that kind of stuff. So, he was done. We were interviewing new presidents and it took gosh, probably a year going through the pandemic and Johnny was basically the president and I was the CEO, the guy that had to make the tough decisions and Johnny made the toughest decisions out there by Opening during the pandemic because we believe that people couldn't get food at grocery stores. And then he's the one who was out there in the field while I was safe in my Zoom chat because I'm so paranoid to go outside. So he really took the burden. But during the whole time, Chris Artinian really kind of helped us navigate everything. And then we ended up hiring a president that did not work out. And I went to John Triano my boss now, big boss of Beekman, and said, hey, is there any chance that you want to let Chris be our CEO and president? And he goes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because he believes in this concept. I think we're one of his biggest companies at this point and could be one of the largest investments. I don't know you know, everything they're invested in, but he believed in the concept so much that he let us take on Chris Artinian as our CEO and, and president, which is pretty amazing. So now we have a tenured CEO and president that believes in culture and believes in what we're doing, believes that we can be this national company and has already done it before with other national companies, taking restaurants public and then back. And so he's an amazing guy, for sure. Well, I'd been kind of listening for a while. I did listen to your first Patreon call and um, there's a couple guys in there that for what they did or what they were doing, it kind of intrigued me. And um, then I've heard a couple of the commercials or whatever that so-and-so was going to be on there. Clicked on your new episode the other day and I'm like, you know what, I'm here. I got to do this.
1: Well, thanks for coming on and sharing your story, Joe. I guess looking back, is there one thing in particular that you think might like help entrepreneurs who are listening? If there's one experience or maybe one thing you didn't touch on, what do you think is the most important thing for them to learn from your story?
0: Well, I think there's a few things. And I always tell people this because they're like, hey, you're so successful. I go. Wasn't easy. I took a ton of chances. I invested in people. And when I did that, you know, I took chances throwing away food, doing all this stuff, overpaying people, all these chances that add up to disaster 99% of the time. But I invested in people and I took chances. And that is why we are successful. And most entrepreneurs, if you look back at their stories, you will see that they take chances, work very hard and invest in people. And that's how they become successful.
1: I guess if there's one way for people to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to reach out and say, thank you for doing the interview?
0: Sure. Reach out to me at josephkahn, K-A-H-N, two at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing your story again. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: You know what I'm in the mood for right now? That's right more service-based interviews. If you're in the mood too, then check out these episodes where we talk about how to service your customer. Episode 197 with two maids in a mop. Not to be confused with two girls in a cup. Episode 89 with the author Incubator. That's a fan favorite. Or episode 140 with Barbecue Smokehouse. And if we've already filled your passion bucket with plenty of episodes, well, why don't you join us on a group call and meet some of our guests? All you have to do is become a Patreon member. I lead the calls and you get to ask the questions. So join us. Go to millionaire-interviews.com and sign up right now.